on this second week of Advent, we're going through what is called uh, a servant poem in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah has four of these servant poems scattered throughout his book. The most well-known is Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, which is called the suffering servant, where one has to be blind or deaf or stupid to not see it relating to Jesus on the cross. Isaiah 52 and 53 is abundantly clear that it's related to Jesus. Besides that, Matthew 12, verse 17, tells us that Jesus is the servant. He is the servant figure of Isaiah. And he's about to show up in our passage. I've entitled uh, this Advent series based on a line from uh, a song that might be on your minds called O Holy Night. I don't know if you've heard it. (laughs) And uh, the line is, A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. But, based on the flow of Isaiah chapter 50, we're kind of tackling these themes a little bit inside out. Because we're in the middle of examining, feeling, and soaking up a weary world. (laughs) It's easy uh, to do so. It's easy to relate to in the milieu of 2020 and 2021. I had intentions of covering more than one verse this week, but as I began studying, I noted two things. First, that I was making a lot of pages of sermon with verse 4, and second, that unpacking verses 5 through 7 felt like I was writing a second sermon. So, I just took the hint, I guess. There is a, a little bit of connection that I will point out next week. Uh, for some reminders, but for now I'd ask you to please stand in honor of hearing the word of God, uh, indeed the very words of Jesus as he enters into this prophecy of Isaiah's, and even though I claim to be an ESV preacher, I'm in the BSB right now, um, I just preach from the Bible every Sunday, I'm not going to tell you what translation anymore, so uh, Isaiah 50 verse 4 says, um, The Lord God has given me the tongue of discipleship to sustain the weary with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. Why don't we go ahead and pray. Father, um, perhaps some of the most original or maybe unoriginal, however you want to use the term, exhortations that pastors give their congregations are to pray and read the Bible. But uh, we do that for a good reason, because your word tells us that we actually don't need a teacher if we have the Holy Spirit in us, who is able to bring to mind all the things from the scriptures, to communicate them in the ways that will transform us and help us to be more like uh, the servant that we're reading about. I pray that as I unpack these uh, phrases, that you would use it to help us to be, again, more like Jesus. I pray that you would say what it is that you desire. And I also pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open up the hearts and minds of those who are listening to respond obediently. Help us not to confuse guilt or negativity with conviction that we need to respond to. Father, we love you and we thank you. And we ask and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be 
seated. <clears throat> for those of you who have been a, attending here for a while, I wonder if you get tired of mentioning of me mentioning a favored story of mine. No? Okay. Well, I haven't said it yet. <laughs> it's found in the book of Mark. So, with that being said, it's in the Bible. You should never get tired of it. But... Over in Mark chapter 1, there is this episode where Jesus, I like to say, he sets up a free lemonade stand of healing. This whole community is brought to the back door of Peter's house where Jesus is staying. And he's healing sicknesses. He's casting out demons. Now, I just said two phrases. You're like, yeah, okay. He's healing sicknesses. He's casting out Demons, let those words settle. Envision that night. People with cancer, no longer having cancer. People with fevers and sicknesses who have kept them from work and enjoying life are finally freed from those sicknesses. People with eating disorders, not knowing what I can and cannot eat, given a clean bill of health. And people who haven't been able to think straight, who have been oppressed and depressed and tortured, messed up in the mind, devoured by demonic forces, freed, finally freed. And Jesus, after that horrific, tiring, laborious night, he is a glutton for punishment because then he gets up early. He sneaks out alone and he prays. And Peter and the disciples finally come and find him. Jesus, you're needed. There is more darkness to liberate. There is more sick people who need to be healed. More action, more superpowers, more miracles, Jesus. More momentum. But Jesus answered, let us go on to the neighboring towns so I can preach there as well. For that is why I have come. That's not how we think. Right? I mean, I'm, I'll admit it, I'm peculiar. I'm a bit eccentric, <laughs> as, as uh, Phil told and said. Uh, I'm a bit odd. I'll take an hour and a half sermon any day over a lot of activity or music or singing or whatever. I know I'm weird, but Jesus says, I came out to preach. It's about the Word. Do you hear the two colliding forces here? On one side, we have the the suffering and the miseries and the sicknesses and the sins, the demonic forces, the whole weariness of the world. It's brewing. It's bothersome. It's horrifying. It's depressing. It's my family members getting old and dying. It's the governments and powers that are lording over people. It's And Jesus does a great night. He gives it a good punch. He shows His power. And in the tangible, real day-to-day, He heals. He frees. He saves. But then Jesus says, it's not about all that stuff. It's about the Word. What's the answer to our weary world, God? The Word. Let me bring in to you some context back here in Isaiah 50. Last week it was really a gloomy Advent introduction, right? The Israelites were in exile. They've been carted off to ancient Babylon. Their temple is burnt to the ground. Their homeland is under the thumb of Babylon. And on top of all that, 
God had some wonderful uplifting words to say, you're divorced and you're sold into slavery. Why? It's not my fault. It's all your fault. (laughs) But then God moved slowly into this hopeful dialogue. It was buried, but it was present. And he was basically asking, is my hand too short to redeem you? And with this, we need to keep in mind that a theme throughout Isaiah 50 is God's word. Now, this is kind of a default, and perhaps it, um, it's relevant to most oracles or visions and prophecies, but Isaiah opens up by saying, this is what the Lord says. This is the BSB's form of, thus saith the Lord statement. But it is what the Lord says, his voice, his word on the matter, word. He asked in verse 2, Why did no one answer when I called? Why didn't anyone respond to the Lord's word, His voice? Then he cites the power of His word, that ironically, when His very people won't respond, nevertheless, behold, my rebuke dries up the sea. His word causes the sea to dry up. And we also know His word causes the sea to cease from storming and come to a call. This word theme will continue today. And who is the word? (laughs) Most of my trouble that I was having with this sermon is that it seems in Isaiah 50, more than many passages, that a lot of themes converge. (laughs) Who is the word? The same as the suffering servant, the same as the servant in all of Isaiah, Jesus. John opens up memorably as we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word, verse 14, became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Jesus is God, and God has been around since the beginning. So, Jesus says, as John records in John 8, 58, Truly, I truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. And God is inspiring Isaiah to prophesy, and the servant Jesus is prophesying. See, if I want to take the Bible literally and believe that God, Jesus is God incarnate and Jesus is the servant, then Jesus is interrupting a prophecy from God. But even before we dig in, I got one more theme, one more biblical image to bring up to the table as we unpack just just one verse today. And I know you're all with me, but even if you're not, I'm going to regroup for you. First, so we're examining a servant poem. There are four of these in Isaiah, the most memorable being the, the suffering servant. Matthew 12 records for us that Jesus is indeed the fulfillment of the servant figure in Isaiah. Secondly, we're looking at a clash of ideas. The weary world versus the Word. We have our cares and our concerns and the weight of our weary world. And Jesus says, I came out to preach the Word. Thirdly, this is about the Word. Thus says the Lord, why did no one answer when I call? My rebuke dries up the sea. Jesus is the Word made flesh. Fourth, the servant is Jesus and the Word is Jesus. These are biblical images, biblically connected. And if Jesus is the servant, and if the servant is speaking, as Isaiah 50 verse 10 tells us that it is the servant who speaks, then we have good reason, I would say clear evidence to believe, that none other than Jesus is prophesying through Isaiah in this passage. One more theme 
one more tool on the table, if you will, before we unpack. Isaiah, back in chapter 5 of his book, introduces a, a motif, a symbol, that Jesus actually brings up from time to time in his own talks. Isaiah brought up the vineyard. And you can turn there to look at it later just to see if I'm lying. But basically God, through Isaiah, says, I planted a vineyard. I gave all the resources it needed, space, all the good stuff that I could give it to ensure it would grow, but it did not grow good stuff. It, it put out sour grapes. And then he says, tell me, Jerusalem, Judah, judge me. I love that God says that, that the great judge says to his people, you judge me. <laughs> Fill me in on where I could have done more to make sure you would produce the right stuff. I've done everything I can to make you flourish. It's like, here's a mansion, here's a good paying job, here's a good car. Why is your house in shambles? Why did you quit your job? Why did you go without the necessary consistent maintenance on the car? What's wrong? <laughs> where did I go wrong? And then Jesus builds on this imagery in John 15. What does Jesus say in John 15 verse 1? I am the true vine, and my Father is the keeper of the vineyard. Do you hear the significant weight of that statement? Especially how it might sound to a Jewish person. Now, I know Jesus is a Jewish person, but Jesus would go on to say in John 15, and you can check this out later too to see if I lied twice today, but he would talk almost as if he is the new Israel. He says, if people stay connected to me, and he is he's saying that the chosen people of God are directly connected to him, not to the temple, not to the nation of Israel. But Jesus says, nope, I'm the vine, and my Father keeps the vineyard. Jesus is the true vine, the vineyard. And this separation, this, this building upon, this one step better, this prime example of God's people is what happens when Jesus interrupts the prophecy here in Isaiah 50. Now again, in a nutshell, God's been saying in Isaiah 50, why'd you get divorced? Why did I sell you? Your iniquities and your transgressions. That's why you're in Babylon. Why did no one greet me or hear me? Can I not do anything about your predicaments? I've delivered you from Egypt. Is Babylon now my match? That was Kevin's lame paraphrase of what's going on. Until Isaiah 50, verse 4, he says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of discipleship to sustain the weary with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. You know, we could say that God has moved from lecture to example. Now, this is what happens with kids. I don't know where I would get this illustration from. But, um, hey, don't walk to the table or from the table to the counter with your plate sideways to let leftovers fall on the carpet and floor. But rather, then, an example, pick up the plate, hold it with both hands, walk over and place it on the counter. Lecture to example. The Lord God, the first Time, this title for God appears in this chapter. And it's going to show up three more times after this one. Lord God, Adonai Yahweh, Master and then Yahweh. He is named. He has given me, says Jesus, the servant who names himself as the servant, all the way in verse 10. 
God has given him the tongue of discipleship. Uh, One of the reasons I preferred the BSB here is that the ESV says the tongue of those who are taught. (laughs) A couple of words that could be wrapped up in discipleship. Uh, You know, it's kind of anticlimactic in some ways. Because this is what I was, was getting at with the story of Jesus and all the people lining up to get healed. The next morning, more people are lining up and Jesus is out praying. And when asked, he says, nah, I came out to preach the word. And it seems that here's the setup, a weary world, a trying world, kings and kingdoms and and powers and vast movements of people and cultures warring and nations warring and armies warring and calamity and devastation and suffering. And if there is a God, how do I connect with Him? And just how a baby shows up in a poor virgin and husband-to-be, so God seems to say over and over, I show up in the Word. I show up in teaching. Now this isn't new for the servant, his showing up in the Word. In fact, Jesus the servant says, this is the case in one of his other servant poems, Isaiah 49 1 and 2 says, The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named me. Interesting that the mother is singled out. And interesting that Jesus is named by God to Joseph. But, then listen to this in verse 2. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. And this is how the servant conquers and makes his kingdom. By the sharp sword of his mouth. Preaching, teaching, proclamation. In the face of suffering and hardship in the world's wars and ways, Jesus provides His Word. The tongue of discipleship sustains the weary with a word. This is the answer. Is the world weary? Does it need to rejoice? It needs the Word of God. And when the Word became flesh and walked among us, what did He say? Come to Me, all who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. Jesus makes that statement, insisting on persons enter into a discipleship relationship with Him. Let us not forget that. See, we tend to paint Jesus to be someone, some rather abstract comforter (laughs) and deity and refuge that, you know, vaguely calls us to follow Him. But no, His way to sustain the weary is by His Word, by discipleship. You know, we make vows, words, at weddings to say I love you to a spouse and we intend or hope that beyond words it's reflective of an ongoing, interactive, think about those words, interactivity, relationship built on shared experiences, shared communication, growing in love, growing in community, doing life together, And so when we say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins, enter into me, be my Lord and Savior, this is reflective of entering into a discipleship relationship with Him. And He sustains the weary with His Word. How to do do this discipleship thing? If we are weary and His Word sustains us, how to do this? Jesus is our example And he exemplifies this relationship in the word in verse 4 with retreating, ritual, receiving, and resolving. Retreating, ritual, receiving, and resolving. Aren't you glad I went to Bible school to come up with 
words that start with R's. Retreating, activity, going to meet with God during the day. Ritual, doing it day by day. It's Some have said that ritual is routine with meaning. And then receiving, hearing what God says, and having made time for it, having sought Him out, receiving. And then lastly, resolving, resolving to do what God has said to do, resolving to be who God wants us to be. This is the essence of the passage in verse 2, what the servant says. He awakens me, retreating, being awakened by God, waking up uh, to get time with Him, retreating. How much, how often should we do it? Morning by morning, ritually, morning by morning, on days when it sounds exciting and on days where the routine sounds laboring and you think you have better things to do. (laughs) This is just as an aside, but that's one thing I don't get. Uh, Our Christians, me too, who get disheartened when the reading is bland. See, God said, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Did you hear that? It's a necessity. (laughs) See, this is is beyond the habits that I do daily because I enjoy them, such as drink coffee. (laughs) I gotta fit that in there somehow. But, but this is in the category of daily necessities for living. Like coffee. No. (laughs) But, you know, none of us never say, you know, brushing my teeth was a bland experience yesterday. Just gonna skip it for a while. Or, you know, those dishes just aren't fun to do day in and day out. I guess I'll just let it pile up. That job's been stressful, so we're gonna see about not doing it. Or, no, you see, we seem to to maintain, sometimes under duress, sometimes when it's tough, all these other habits, when the Word of God is necessary to what we should live on. We should make it ritual. He, Yahweh, awakens my ear, says the servant, to listen, to receive. One should receive the Word of God. You know, I listen to a lot of sermons on my walks, sometimes once a day. So I'll listen up anywhere from three to five sermons in a given week, depending on how often I walk. And if Christy, and this is a big if, if Christy and I get up early enough before the kids, I read about a chapter or so a day in the Bible for my own reading, not for sermon prep. But I know this, I don't receive it all. My ears and eyes, depending on how you want to say it, are not always awakened by God. It depends on my motives, why I'm listening. Am I listening to a sermon or reading the Bible because it's just the routine in the negative sense? And if I've not met for ritual, routine with meaning, routine with purpose, after retreating for the ritual, one needs to receive the Word of God. And beyond that, one must receive it or have their ear awakened by God as a disciple. Resolve. I'll just be honest, but am I the only one who labors for the sermon, ends up being convicted on Sunday, but sometimes I'm not resolved? (laughs) I, I say a prayer at the end of the message. I say, Lord, change us, apply these truths to our life, help us to respond to conviction. But there must be the heart of a disciple. There must be resolve. I have a feeling that this is what Judah, Babylonian exiling Judah, needs to hear. They have fancied themselves as the people of God, so they must resolve to be it. Jesus, the servant, the true Israel, what Israel should be, is resolved. He retreats 
prefer rituals to receive the word of God, and he's resolved to do what is instructed. This is what sustains the weary. And so the question is, is are you weary? Are we in a weary world right now? You know, Jesus, after he began his ministry, he headed out into the wilderness, the weary world, to be tempted. He was tempted in his hunger to cheat on his fasting. He was to cheat on his away time with God. He was tempted in his communion with God to question his identity. He heard over and over, if you are the Son of God. He was tempted in his kingship to overlook the suffering he would endure at the cross. You know, you could go that route, Jesus, or you could just worship me, Satan. As if Satan has any authority to grant him the world. I don't know. That's just him being deceptive, deceitful. Tempted to forego time with God. Tempted in our identity. You know, one of the world's most crucial questions right now, timelessly, probably not just right now, who am I? Who do I want to be? I can be anyone I want to be, can I? Even whenever it comes to boy or girl, I can be who I want to be. Tempted when it comes to who's really in charge. You know, if the tyrants of the world are too hard to be free from, should I just join them? And it can get wearisome. Do you ever feel like there's a lot of voices in the world? There are arguments we want to get dragged into, and then there are the politics that want to separate people, the ideas. But Jesus responds to Satan in these slew of temptations, and the first thing he says, it is written... Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus cites scripture to combat the weary world, and the scripture he cites reinforces its very usage. It's about the word. And if everything I've said so far isn't sticking, if we're still stuck with Peter and the disciples and the people waiting back at the lemonade stand, Jesus, come and heal my weary world, Come and cast out my weary world. And if we've not heard Jesus there say it's about the word, I've come and preached the word, hear what he says in Isaiah 50. He sustains the weary with the word. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Are you in his word? If you're weary, are you in his word? Are you retreating? Are you partaking in ritual? Are you receiving his word? Are you resolved in his word because this is your sustenance it's like breakfast lunch dinner and the word of god they're all on the same level paul would say in first timothy 4 8 for physical exercises of limited value you know i've used this verse in the wrong way but godliness is valuable in every way holding promise for the present life and the one to come Man lives on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. If you want to move from the weariness of the world to be sustained or to be lifted, it is found in the word of God. It's found in the word of God. You know, I'm, I feel sorry that you have me as a pastor because I know I'm not one to give you practical applications all the time. A lot of times I open up the Bible, I preach a bunch, we might say good thoughts, we walk home, wishing we had practical applications. So I decided to make up for all the times that I've not given you practical applications. 
today, one time. So glad you're here. Lucky you. I got some challenges for you. If you want to move from weariness, if you're feeling it, to being sustained by the Word of God. I'm a few weeks early this year. Most years, every pastor does around New Year. I have Bible reading plans for you. Well, I do have some Bible reading plans for you, and I know it's early December. But if you want to do something else, besides just give me, don't give me that Bible reading plan, Kevin, which there are chronological, there's only one paper, and it's all every day, front and back. It's really tiny print. You might need a magnifying glass. But did you know that church starts before 11 a.m. most Sunday mornings? And beyond opening up your Bibles or reading Bibles up here for about 40 minutes every Sunday, Dean and Phil do such great jobs opening up the Bible, teaching, facilitating, asking questions from the Word of God. In fact, Phil is even in Isaiah right now, the book that we're in, and Dean is in the book of Genesis. I urge you at 9.45 a.m. to make use of what's already here. Did you know that Woodland Friends is a bit of a sore thumb in the church world right now? Both in the yearly meeting and in other church denominations I know that Sunday school is becoming, if not already is, a thing of the past. They don't even have people just show up at 11 every Sunday for church for an hour. Now, a lot of them will have in, turn, in, in, in exchange community groups in the middle of the week, something like that. Well, I invite you to make use. I am challenging you to change your Sunday morning habits if you're able and you're not making use of this. You don't need to be guilty. <laughs> I won't call anyone up if I don't see some of you here next Sunday morning. But simply because there's nothing to be guilty about or doesn't mean you should say doesn't mean that you should say, "Oh good, I'll just ignore this then and just get to the end of the sermon, Kevin." I don't know how else to say it. It's just one way where you can get the word that we live on inside of you. Second challenge, and then I'm done. Read your Bible daily. And if you already do read your Bible daily, I challenge you to practice the four R's while you do it. If you're already retreating and partaking in ritual, are you also receiving and resolving? If you don't read your Bible daily, I challenge you to make that a habit. Make that a habit. There's another practical application. I don't want you to miss it. This is the one sermon I have practical applications. <laughs> there are our daily breads out there. I've given you plenty of, of examples on the back of your second uh, sheet. Plenty of resources. If you don't like our daily bread, you know what? <clears throat> Jim Maddox helped me finish my sermon this morning. He brought in this for me. This is another uh, daily reader. It's called The Word for You Today. See Jim. Say, hey Jim, can I get that? I'm sure he'll hook you up. I just signed you up for homework. And then, uh, yeah, there is uh, more magazines out there than our daily bread or that one. Just do a little Google research. Uh, you know, or go old-fashioned. Just open up a book of the Bible and start reading. And one of the things I tell people that reading the Bible doesn't have to be a race, doesn't have to be a marathon, some of us get feeling guilty because we only read two verses for a day. Well, meditate on those two verses. <laughs> Think about what God is saying. Because, or you can get a, if you have a thing called a smartphone, they're relatively new, but if you have a smartphone, there is an app called the YouVersion Bible app. I think it just might be called the Bible app, but the makers of it is called YouVersion. They will get you in the Bible every day. Very easy to use and 
since Bill knows that I'm not reading my Bible every day. He sends me a verse every day. And I'm, I look forward to it, actually. But if you are not reading the Bible, you are essentially missing out on a meal a day. That's the sort of language that Jesus uses. That's what he's given to sustain us. His word is what the believer should live on. Those are my practical challenges, and and I urge you, I exhort you, I plead with you in all seriousness, utilize Sunday school, read your Bible every day, make these changes in your lives, and, and just see if that the weary world that makes you weary will make you a little less weary. Why don't we go ahead and pray, and while we pray, I'll pray for our potluck, but wait until Bonnie says you can eat. Father, we do thank you for this opportunity we have to gather together to feast on your word, to look through in your prophecies that you've given us. Thank you for um, the example of Jesus. Thank you for these four R's of discipleship. Thank you for the many avenues, the high accessibility we have to your word. Father, help us to be consistent and serious about how we handle your word. Forgive us for letting the Bibles we have sit on our shelves collecting dust. Forgive us for the times whenever we read just to check off our check marks and, okay, what can I do for the rest of my day after those two minutes have been utilized? Help us to realize the necessity that your word is in our lives. Father, would you help us to give that word to others, those that need to come to Christ, those that are suffering and straining under the weary world. Thank you that you've given us your word to sustain us. Father, I pray for our time together in this upcoming potluck and party that you would bless our fellowship. Thank you for the family we have here at this church. Thank you for the hands that have prepared this food that somehow, some magical way, might nourish us. I don't know how. Um, But we do pray that you would um, be with us in our time together. We ask and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.